Welcome in, everyone. It is Thursday, December 16th, 2021. We got uh, two more Thursdays after this one left in the year. Uh, and uh, I'm coming, I'm Mark Real, and I'm coming to you live from Lake Placid, Florida today, a little pre Christmas trip. And uh, we have a guest joining us. He's going to be our first three time guest. I think you were our first two time guest. Um, and he's got a lot of exciting things going on that I know a lot of people want updates for. Uh, so our guest today, uh, we're a little bit early this afternoon, is Minnesota attorney Ryan McLaughlin. Ryan, how are we doing today? Mark, thanks for having me back. It's, uh, it's, always, it's always a good conversation. I know you have your, you know, every week you get, you get to have these conversations and, and it's always uh, a pleasure to kind of pick your brain and, and put this information out there. So. Um, you know the the two the two prior times we focused a lot on constitution the constitution the constitution for 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 folks in family court who want to see their kids more and we focus on the constitution right because it's a weapon that's never used and it's 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 a it's a weapon that it's the highest court in the land right the US Supreme Court yeah. the constitution and so from New Jersey to you know to Washington state Oregon right all all this Every single state, if you make a, a U.S. Constitution argument, you win, and you don't see those, right? Local attorneys don't see those. You don't see you don't see people litigating. Um, I have a, a federal constitutional right to see my kids, and so that's a lot of that's been what I've been working on and what we've talked about already and ground we've covered. Um, today, I, I kind of have a couple more angles on that same idea nothing new but a couple more you know a few updates um that i wanted to talk to you about and um you know i wanted to start with just sharing kind of boots on the ground update from from life in minnesota life in covid so um there's a case i'm aware of a client i'm representing um who's facing going to jail in early january for not paying enough support monies right so he pays support he pays child support and he pays spousal support um, but the court has said you know you're in contempt of court and you either purge your arrears and pay up or or see it right you're going to jail and um yeah and i and i, and I raised this for a couple of reasons one um this is serious right this is this is this is you're going to jail and they say that it's not a punishment that we're putting you in jail. It's to help you. Um, it's to encourage you to pay, right? But, but like, how are you going to pay when you're when you're in jail, right? I mean, under what logic, right? Are they going to give you a job and you're going to pay using that dollar thirty eight or whatever yeah. they pay you when you're in but, prison working a job? Like, what are we doing? Yeah, right. So, so that's one, right? And we laugh, but but it, it would be terrifying if this was me. You know, if I was in this position, well, think about this. Let's think about this. And this is something I'm sure you see. COVID impacted so many people financially. And there are so many people that have arrears that are well meaning, that made all of their payments and then lost their jobs. And, and maybe they didn't go out right away and get that modification. And I know out here in California, we're just starting back up enforcements. So what are those enforcements going to look like? Are we going to start taking people's licenses in bulk? Are we going to start locking people up in jail um, because a pandemic took their livelihood away from them? 
Um, it's it's going to be an interesting question. And I mean, I think it ties into the constitutionality. I mean, these were government mandated shutdowns that cost people this money, that cost people these jobs. And now the government wants a different arm of the government wants to come around and punish them for that. Yeah. And the thing I'll say is, you know, I'm a lawyer, but a lot of my work is done by my clients. Right. So if you're watching this, if you're a mom or dad, whatever, you know, you, you have an, a ridiculous, an incredible amount of power to, to pay attention to stuff. Right. If, if so, for instance, if the court's saying that your arrears are a hundred grand, maybe they are, but in, in many of my clients cases, they're not right. The court is, is understaffed, overworked and right they're there and, and this is true with a lot of government entities so you because it's your case your life your bank account your payments you know better than them you just don't have the power so a lot you know of, better than your attorney you, and you better, need to realize that 100 100 i tell all my clients here's the deal my job is strategy my job is to put you in the best position possible but there is no possible way even if i spent 80 hours a week on your case that I even have a fraction of the knowledge and understanding of what's going on in your day-to-day -day life. There's a lot of pattern stuff that, I mean, you know, I know you see it too, Ryan, that's like this situation's occurred. So we know that this is the strategic move we need to make, but each situation's different. And I think that's the big thing I, I always tell dads is you got to take ownership in your situation because I'm only as good as the information I'm given. And yep. you have to own the facts in your case. Yeah. So the tool here would be right, right. First, double, triple check, whatever the court court's saying or doing double, double, triple check the court order. And, and I mean, in most like, states, you can request an audit. You, you can go to child support and say, I want, I want my, my case audited. And they have, most states have a, a time frame in which they must audit your specific case. Right. So that's number one, right? Make sure if you're the petitioner in a case and the respondent just won based on their version of the facts, make sure that the response, whoever the opposing party is, make sure that their facts match up with the county audit, right? With, with, what, this, with what the county has on record. And then make sure that that's actually what you paid. Because sometimes you pay via check or I don't know how you pay support and it doesn't get counted or it gets claimed as this when it's supposed to be that. You know, make sure the facts are right because the court, I think, um both doesn't care as much as you and isn't equipped to handle the kind of volume it's seeing right so they're just they're just you know they're they're drowning right they're drowning yeah. and so you, you have to care that's number one number two is for the attorneys out there so that's for the for the litigants for the clients number two for the attorneys is we're also inundated right we're also trying to help all these clients this that and the other but I think it's important to, and, I, and you know, this is something that I have to do as well, read the orders super, super carefully, right? Because if the court doesn't make findings of fact, if it gets the facts wrong, if it gets the law wrong, right? This is something to bring up and it's something to hold like a torch to the, to the court's feet and be like, your one job judge is to get the law right and you get the law wrong. And it, I mean, it makes sense. These judges are, are shuffled around from family court to civil court to criminal court. You know, they're not getting paid uh, oftentimes as much as attorneys. So mistakes happen. They misstate the law. And when you when you catch it, um, it it's a time to make a big, big, um, to torch it, right? To say, we got a huge problem here, judge.
And this is something I think, I think the internet, I think you make a really good point. And I think the internet, I think Facebook is kind of a melting pot of dads and parents coming together is we're seeing more and more often judges either coming, going outside of the scope of their duties or doing things kind of rogue on their own. Um, I've seen, I I talked to a colleague of ours that, uh, a fellow attorney who is in Illinois and there, there's people in hot water because they recorded court proceedings and then caught the transcripts being incorrect. And they were able to, with video, go in and say, the transcript is incorrect. That's not what happened. And then they try to punish them. But it was a, it was a big deal with their child custody case. Yeah. So, so, so the attorneys need to pay attention. The attorneys need to be proactive. The attorneys need to, and that's a general statement, right? What I'm specifically talking about is right. Every, um, what did you say, Mark? Uh, um, yeah. So the transcripts can be messed up versus what's actually being said. That's one example. Um, but even case law, right? So that, so in Minnesota, there's, a you know, there's case law for everything, no matter what state you're in. There's the best interest standard has case law, you know, case law for every situation. And the situation that I'm talking about, will throw you in jail that situation will throw you in jail for not paying your for not paying your child support in minnesota there's a case that uh it's called the mahadi case right this case says this is how we're going to throw you in jail this is what your rights are you get this hearing to determine how much you owe you get this hearing to determine if you can pay it then you get this hearing to say at the very end um please don't throw me in jail because of x and that's a right like a R, like capital R, that's a right. You get it no matter what. It's not, you didn't show up. It's not, you know, we didn't like you. You have to have that hearing. And uh, the court messed that up, right? The court yeah. didn't read that, that line of the case, which it's a real important line, right? It's just not super important yeah. for the court, but it's real important if you're a dad who's, or a mom who's potentially going to jail in January for not paying money. Like you have a right to this hearing. Um, and so the question is, if you're an attorney, you know, what do you do about that? And the only thing that I found as, uh, oh, you, you can't often correct the judge that doesn't go super well, right? It doesn't go over real well and tell the judge, you know, your honor, you made a mistake here because probably right, right, there's an adversary. So what I found is find colleagues, right? Find as many colleagues as you can find as many senior attorneys as you can. Find as many senior county attorneys as you can who are of that inside position who have more seniority than the judge. Um, and then just, you know, but but just throwing mud back at the judge, I don't find to be super effective, right? I feel like no. so so that's not that, in the micro at least. Not, not in, in that in person that. who's in front of the judge's case right then and there. Right, exactly. So 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 two things. One, people should pay attention to the facts to make sure the court gets the facts right. And this is specifically the clients, not the attorneys, because the attorneys don't know the facts. The attorneys should be looking at those cases and double, triple, triple checking the judge's order. You know, oftentimes the attorneys just skim, right? We'll skim to the to the good stuff, the bottom of the order where it says granted, denied, granted, denied, granted. But we miss, you know, the, the whole thing could be the whole order could be flawed if the judge doesn't have findings of fact and conclusions of law or if they mess up either, um, which is a, a long-winded way of saying attorneys need to also slow down, right? You could be lethal if you slow down. And so I'm as guilty of that as anybody. 
right? So it's a good lesson for me. It's something yeah. I've been focusing on and it has happened right now. And I think any anybody in family court can can help their attorney slow down. Just they could re read the orders themselves, right? Um so that's one thing, right? Just right off the bat. I, I want to stay on that too. And the, the one of the things and you mentioned having colleagues and educating other people that are in front of the judge. So maybe these issues get brought up. I think one of the most tactful in the micro, when I talk about micro, I'm talking about that individual client, like the macro, the system, there are all sorts of issues. But when we step in the courtroom, it's about the micro. It's about how can I get the best possible outcome for that client I'm representing right then and there. And I think whether you're pro se or whether you have an attorney, there are the resources out there now to be able to brief the judge on the issues, to educate the judge. Now, it may not be admissible in terms of evidence, but there's nothing that says you can't file a brief that has a section explaining technically what parental alienation is or explaining what the case law specifically is. And that can sometimes help you get out in front. Um, I, I would say in the last three to four months, I've become big on before a hearing, if there's going to be an issue, I put the case law in front of the judge beforehand. So it makes it harder and I can reference it. And I can kind of angle myself as like, hey, your honor, like on the law side, you see, we talked, I talked about this case law that would apply here rather than just trying to throw something at them after the fact. Yeah, I think that's important. I think that's important. And it's nothing It's nothing radical, exciting, sexy. It's just saying, you know, know the law, basically, right? Just like a plumber has to know. It's boring. Pipes. It's boring, right, exactly. Every single domestic violence hearing I go into, I have a five page, a, a, about a five page section of a brief that lays out specifically just to kind of put it in the judge's head, this is how, why you would, or this is the level they have to reach to get a restraining order granted. And this is the case law that puts that in a box. Uh, so you kind of, you can kind of, in my, in my mind, I've kind of seen where it maybe removes a little bit of the discretion they may have. And it kind of prevents that judge from being very fast and loose with the law because you've put it in front of them and said, here's the law. We know the law. This is the laws we all have to follow. I like that. I like that. And I don't know why that gets overlooked. And maybe, maybe viewers or listeners are like, yeah, 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 yeah. Like that's the basics, right? That's what, that's what you should be doing, but that's precisely the point, right? It's what you should be doing, but, but too often it, it, it's, it's hard. It's not sexy. It's, it's, you have to sit down and, and think, and it's grinding. And I think attorneys like myself, like you, Mark, we need to make that that's the meat and potatoes, right? That's, that's what our practice should be. And so, you know, I take that to heart. I take that to heart because it can save somebody that it's the difference between someone going to jail and not. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, and I, I've, I've talked to so many, I've, I've had the opportunity. You said every single week I get to sit down and talk to people. I've talked to people that do actively practice criminal law where they've represented people facing life in prison and the next day they're representing somebody in family court and they say that, Hey, it's more stressful going in and fighting to ensure that someone has their constitutional right to parent than it is defending someone who may be facing serious time in prison. So, I mean, that, that's a perspective that I've only done family law. That's all I've ever done, but that's perspective from people who, who are, I know, and I know you kind of have a little bit broader practice, 
but uh, that, that's the perspective and, and that I've gained is that it is serious and, and we need to take it to heart and we need to take all of our clients. It needs to be a personal issue for us. So yeah, yeah, yeah agreed. Agreed. So that's kind of like, that's happening right now. That's in the micro for me. That's what's happening right now in Minnesota is, you know, going to jail and that just shows how serious we're, what we're dealing with, right? You can go to jail because you can't pay because you lost your job or lost income. You can't pay what you were expected to pay before COVID, right? And you've shown the court, you've done what you've done, but the court um, doesn't particularly like you because you've made constitutional claims in the past, this, that, or the other, you name it, the reasons why, right? Um, and that's the landscape we're in. And I think what we were just talking about is, well, if you're in this landscape, this hostile landscape where you're going to jail, if you don't pay this amount of money, you know, what do you do? You, you do all the things we've just described. So that's kind of first thing that was on my mind. And then, you know, let's talk about some, some big moves that your attorneys could make. One thing that I've been thinking about is why don't children have standing in family court, right? The family court, the whole thing about family court is it's about the best interest of the kids. That's like, that's the whole deal, right? It's all about what does the research say is best for the kids? The whole court system, that's that's the central banner, the paramount concern. Mm -hmm. So, and the parents are always fighting about it, right? Parents get divorced and then they hate each other. They quibble about money and then quibble about the kids. But why don't the kids get a chance to say, you know, I love mom, I do, but I only see dad, you know, for every other Friday and Saturday. What, why don't I get to see dad every week? You know, I love dad. I love hanging out mm -hmm. with dad. I'm just using dad as an example. Um, I'm, I'm 13 years old now. You know, I have a higher SAT score than, than both mom and dad. Um, I'm a smart kid. Uh, well, I want to tell a judge why I think I should be able to see my parents equally, right? <clears throat> and there's a huge concern about kids and kids being taken advantage of and the court being kind of an adult scenario and situation, but, but it's an interesting legal question. Why don't kids have the ability then to be represented by their own counsel? Never mind a guardian ad litem or whatever your state calls a protective counsel for, for a minor, but for a kid to say, I have a right, right? Because the same Supreme court case law, Troxel v. Granville, says that stands for the same proposition kids have a right to their parents and vice versa so if that's the case let's enforce the kids rights right let's see mom and dad as petitioner respondent and then as intervener right little little daughter or little son you know I, and, and what would that look like and why because that's the center focus right it's not actually mom versus dad. and that would be interesting and, yeah. and I, I do know this and I don't know the specifics of it. And, and this is probably a conversation and, and something they'll have later. I do know of an attorney who is, has made it to, has, there's a, an appellate court decision in the seventh circuit. So that's Illinois, Indiana, and um, Wisconsin. I should, I went to law school in that circuit. I should know, um, but it, it, it gives kids rights um, uh, and, and it, and it kind of opened the door for federal lawsuits. So I think, I think for me, the amazing thing is I, I used to think, and I think a year ago, um, I thought that suing, like, why do we need federal court? Why do we need these lawsuits? And I think in the last year, 
we've made such progress. There have been probably about half a dozen cases at the federal level that have carved things out that are heading in that direction. Um, because I think any attorney would say, we don't really do it too much out here in California, but the guardian ad litem or child's attorney, whatever it's called in your state, there's just so many issues. Um, I know one major U.S. city, there's a current FBI investigation that's not public yet into their guardian ad li- their head guardian ad litem and their program. Um, yeah. We've seen the news out of St. Louis where um, <laughs> there's the videos of cash for kids. And I know... Um, Kenneth Rosa has has done a lot of work on that, and he was personally affected by it. Um, so it's it's one of those things we've made such strides, whether it just be making things public and making judges aware. Because I'm kind of curious, and and this is a question I've started asking to some of my peers who don't work in family law. People, I, I don't even think most attorneys who aren't family law attorneys or don't enter this sphere understand what goes on in these courtrooms. What do you mean specifically? Like, like, I, I don't think so. I'll, I'll take my, my situation specifically. So I ended up in family court less uh, within eight months of graduating law school. And when I was walking in for that first hearing, I had my attorney and I had studied labor and employment law. I'd worked for management side firms. I'd seen how the court system works. Mm-hmm. And in my head, I'm like, I'm going into a court in the United States of America. Mm-hmm. And I am a willing, able, and fit parent. The courts will figure this out. This will be easy. And now you see it. I see it day in, day out, whether judges being lazy or just falling into the trap of, oh, this kind of follows this fact pattern. So I'm going to, I'm going to start the dad out with supervised visits, or I'm going to start the dad out with, with three, four hour visits during the week and maybe six months from now, I'll give them an overnight. Um, you don't, you kind of don't expect that. And I think that for me, something that kind of shook me, I don't know if you're familiar with Mark Ludwig, who Americans for Equal and Shared Parenting. Um, yeah. He he posted on his Facebook page um, and, and it kind of hit me. It, it, it makes made too much sense. And I don't want to tell his story, but in a sense, he was a father who the mother ran from him, withheld the child, went into hiding. And it was almost a year that he didn't see his essentially newborn son. And when he finally got into court to get custody and visitation orders, they gave him supervised visitation because he had never taken care of the child. Well, do we give parents who are taking their first child home? Do we send someone home with them to take care of the child? And when he posted that, it like it hit me. I'm like, the supervised visitation scheme, I'm going to call it a scheme because it just makes people, makes therapists and whoever in, in your state, in California, it's a joke what you can be to be a professional supervisor. Um, it just makes them hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just completely and totally unnecessary. So I, I think that that's that's one of the things in terms of, I don't know if my peers outside of family law, fully comprehend really the insanity of men and women having to prove they're a fit parent. But I mean, if there's no conflict, it doesn't matter if you have DUIs, drug arrests, felonies. If you have the kid and there's no concerns at the time, they go ahead and send you home. But one person opposing party says, oh, I might have a concern. They put all these restrictions on that person. Yep. And people might think that you're blowing 
when you hear these rants, and I don't want to say that what you what you just did was a rant, but it kind of was a rant. Oh, it was a rant. I was on my soapbox. It was a rant. I'll own it. Yeah, it was a rant. And you often see hear see and or hear these rants, right? So someone's pissed off about family court, and then they tell you why, and it comes off as a rant. But the, but oftentimes, and I think too often, like you're not what you're saying is factually true. You're not exaggerating or lying what you're saying is factually true there's there's these problems in the court these um holes points of breakage um where like you said just like you said it's not it's not a rant one accusation against somebody could could cause in the court's mind their the dad's visit to go from unsupervised to supervised like that right one accusation of anything you name it um it could cause a credibility shift that the dad can't overcome and then it's just the slippery slope there it's like an avalanche from there and that's right that's a problem and and to to your point about federal court i think federal court can help solve that problem because the standards of the bench are a little higher um the rules of, of, of practice are more strenuous, right? There's more hoops you have to jump through as an attorney. Everything has to be a little bit more precise in terms of, mm-hmm. even in terms of just, you know, your margins and the page numbers and the word count and everything is just dialed in a little bit more. So the all fact- All 11 that, copies of each filing you have yeah, to submit yeah. and everything. Yeah, all, yeah. This, all this kind of like, this kind of, kind of like a charade, right? That you have to uh-huh. do this and write in cursive for this. But it, it, it makes a difference because you can't, you can't be sloppy. You can't be as sloppy. And I think one of the problems is kind of it's kind of the wild, wild west in family court. It's kind of like you just walk into someone's living room and uh, and they get to decide. And I think so. The reason you go to federal court is uh, it's a little bit more expensive. It's a little bit more difficult on the attorney side. But you're you're now playing in the professional league where these are you know so and what I mean by that is you you have a chance of 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 fairness a higher chance of fairness so when we talk about when someone says I'm getting you know when someone goes on their rant and they say what can I do what's your game plan as an attorney what's your genius game plan why should why should I retain you what are you going to do that the other family attorneys can't I'm just going to say, I mean, the strategy, you talked about strategy, Mark, our job is strategy. The strategy, I think, is to go to a place where you can get more fairness, right? People talk about, let's go to a different county, like go to a different country, Norway, they have better rules. I think realistically, your best bet is federal court. Your best bet is to to make a constitutional claim in federal court, constitutional claim for 50-50 parenting, if that's the issue. If it's parenting time, make a claim that Troxel v. Granville, the United States Supreme Court case, um gives you a, a due process right to, to 50 50 parenting time i don't think we've seen that wave i don't think we've seen like people taking that shield and that sword and marching into the arena of federal court and saying let's see how this shakes down right try your mm-hmm. circuit i don't know um minnesota's the eighth circuit um you know we haven't seen that battle go down and i think that's that's the arena and that's the that's the argument over and over and over and over and over again. Yeah, I think the bi- the biggest thing, and this is this is something actually I've, I've kind of taken some time to study, and this is what we're chipping away at in federal court. So anybody who's saying, hey, I'm going to go file in federal court, um, there's something called, and I know you're familiar with Orion, the domestic relations exception. And 
it originally was this very narrowly tailored that basically said divorce and child support didn't even actually originally say anything to do with child custody, but divorce and child support, federal courts don't have jurisdiction of them. But it, it actually says nothing about child support, but it's been interpreted so broadly that federal judges for so long, if something like this comes into their realm, they just boot it out. And that's what we're carving away at. And you see some of these cases and to, to the average person, they're like, what does that even mean? Well, maybe it creates more exposure for guardians ad litem, or it creates more exposure for the the district, the superior court judges in your state, or it opens up avenues um, to get into federal court. And like I said, there's a couple districts or there's a couple of circuits now, um, which for those who don't know, the federal court system, you have your, you're going to have your essentially your trial court level. And then usually it's three to five states are in a circuit. And you go in front of a three judge panel. And when they make a decision, that holds precedent over all of the states in their circuit. And we've seen some of these circuits actually start chipping away and giving us those angles to get into federal court. Mark, <clears throat> you know, people ask me all the time um, when we see the briefs. So I say constitutional argument, constitutional argument, constitutional argument, blah, blah, blah. People are like, wonderful. Can, can you send it to us? Uh, and um, is there a way that we could share? Is there a way that if I send you those documents as a PDF, we could post them somewhere or attach a, a link for folks so that they don't have to email me? They can just grab it. Yeah, I can. Um, so if you, I, I think, I think we kind of left off. And we never followed up. Um, if you want to send over a redacted version or or a version that's just generic, um, I can I can make sure that that gets up on the Fathers Rights Movement's uh, social media pages, and I, I can post it on on my page as well. Um, so it, we can make it available on the Fathers Rights Movement, and then my page, the Fathers Rights Attorney. So we can definitely get that information out to people. Okay, so people should contact Mark or contact or or follow the Father's Rights Movement. Yeah, we'll we'll get it posted on that page. Um, okay. I apologize. I, I have my email inbox has like 150 emails right now. So if you email me, it may be 10 to 14 days before you hear from me. But we'll, I'll get that as soon as I get that from Ryan. I'll get that over to the social media team with the Father's Rights Movement, and we'll get that put up there. So at minimum, you have that case law. Um, that's that's been done by or that's kind of been researched and built out by ryan and and the one thing i would say right is so this was filed in minnesota but that doesn't matter for you right i mean you can't just copy and paste the same thing but you basically can so the case law cited is united states supreme court so <clears throat> regardless of what state right you would need to edit out the minnesota and replace you know your petitioner your respondent with whatever is for your case but the nuts and bolts, the meat and potatoes of this thing holds. And so for the same reason as Mark, I don't want to be non-responsive to folks who need this information and need it timely. So if we could just post it somewhere, I think that would yeah. help a lot of people. Um, and then we'll get that out there. And I know, I know we're going to, I know, I, I don't think it, we're working on something with the father's rights movement to, to kind of put all of the case law 
there is out there in the circuits and then at the fed and at the federal Supreme court level together. So it's all in one place. We understand that. I mean, to be honest with you, I mean, I, I'm not going to claim to be the world's greatest legal researcher. Um, but if you've never, if you've never ventured down Westlaw and understand what the word shepherdize mean, it's next to impossible. So we're working on some resources to be able to get these in the hands of not just dads, but parents that are, are going through these issues. So one last thing really quickly. So parental alienation, um, you, we mentioned this earlier and, you know, it's, this has been on the rise in the last couple of months for me, just litigating these issues. I think the, there's a, so research, right? So parental alienation, first of all, like you have to know that that's a thing. You have to know that that world, uh, that experience is, is, is labeled parental alienation. There's a huge body of research on this. And I think the point is if you're in a situation where you're like, you know what, mom or dad's coaching the kids, you know, there are often non-disparagement clauses in divorce decrees, right? Don't talk smack about mom. Yeah. Don't talk smack about mom's boyfriend or girlfriend. Just keep everything positive with the kids. And we, you know, you read it, you're kind of like, yeah, obviously, right? That we kind of just like blow it off or it's it's so apparent and so obvious in terms of what good parenting looks like that we, and there's animosity towards the other party. So it kind of gets lost in the mix. But that's a real problem from the child's perspective, right? From the best interest of the child, that's super, super, super damaging. So it's not just about mom hates dad or dad hates dad or the parents hate each other. The parents are talking smack. That's ridiculously toxic to the children in a way that is like suicidal ideation, depression, anxiety, all these things in kids, not just short term, but long term. And I don't know how much the judges have been trained on this, right? It's an open question. How like... Is this at the center of the can I, can I, let me let me comment on that? Yeah, let me comment on that. How much of the judge has been trained on it? Back in October, I was in I was up in Orlando at the American Bar Association's Family Law Conference. There was a presentation by an attorney and a therapist, two of the most respected people in terms of research and litigating parental alienation. And a judge from Atlanta, Georgia, who or the Atlanta area that oversees family cases raised her hand and stood up and said, it's impossible for me to say parental alienation has occurred because not one time in her 10 years on the bench had anybody presented her with what parental alienation was and what they were claiming. So running into court and saying parental alienation, parental alienation, that happens regularly and it's ineffective. You have to assume your judge knows nothing. That was, a, that was kind of a shocking piece to me that she stood up and said, I've never found parental alienation because no one's ever presented to me what their definition of parental alienation is. Yeah. So how do we, so what does that mean for people and their attorneys? Like what, so, so the judges are kind of like, whatever, I don't, I mean, I'm not going to rule on it. It means, and that's the, that's what I see as an attorney. The judges are kind of like, we hear the words you're saying, but it doesn't, like we don't have a checkbox for that on our sheet. Like we don't have template orders with that on our sheet. Mark, I think it goes to this problem that you just talked about. Like how do you educate the court without coming off as a patronizing, um, pompous attorney, right? Or if you're self-represented, how do you do the same thing? How do you educate the court? 
Yeah. I think think for me, number one is you're going to lay the foundation with you're going to brief it and you're going to be you're going to be factual and you're going to be scientific. And evidentially, it's kind of that would be kind of questionable um, technically to get anything in about that. You would probably have to put an expert on the stand and have an expert testify to it. But we know family court is the Wild West. Um, and so I, I would go in and, and the, the book I always recommend is uh, Litigating Parentation uh, by Shishoji, who's the Michigan attorney who does Litigate Parentation. He wrote a book on it. And a lot of states actually have case law that lays out their standards and what parental alienation means. Um, and all that information is in this book. And you can go in and educate your judge and present this factual information. If it's available at an evidentiary hearing, you can put an expert on the stand and have them testify as to what it is clinically. Um, and that can, that can, that's a little bit expensive. But like I told a client the other day, we can take factually what parental alienation is and how it's diagnosed. And your attorney can put that case on. Now, they would, most attorneys probably aren't going to be versed enough in it to be able to go into a trial and present parental alienation appropriately. Um, but that, that's, that's going to be one of the things in finding an attorney, if you're in one of those high conflict situations, that's going to be able to stand up there and walk through, hey, here's the cycle of parental alienation. Here are, here's the non-exclusive 17 different behaviors that are associated with parental alienation. Um, so you're going to want someone who can do that. You don't, I mean, literally a brief and then having an attorney who can walk through the steps of what it is clinically can be extremely impactful. Um, because like I said, running into court and saying parental alienation, parental alienation, what can the judge actually even do? You really haven't presented them with anything. I think that's right. I don't have anything to say other than to say, I think that's right. Right. I think uh, it doesn't sound like rocket. It doesn't, it doesn't, people may be like, yeah, obviously that's right. Obviously you have to, you have to, the words parental alienation have to come out of your mouth if you're an attorney. Also, what it means has to come out of your mouth, right? What it is, the case law to support it, that's that's good lawyering. And so, Mark, you're right. I mean, if I was shopping for a, an attorney and I felt like I was parental alienation was at play and, and I heard you say what you just said, that would give me comfort, right? If Whether we were going to litigate it or not, just to know that somebody had in their vision like the vocabulary to see like, yes, this is an issue. And to be able to tell the court, um, because let's give the court the benefit of the doubt for the second. Let's say that 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 while they're, they're not educated in this particular vice, like they're open to hearing and learning. So then all you got, then, then your job is to educate. And I, I think as attorneys, we have to assume that the court for our own sanity, we have to assume that the court has its, the best intentions. The court has the best interest of the child. The court wants to do what's right. The court wants to file ca follow case precedent. And so we shouldn't make assumptions. We should just do our jobs and present the facts. And so that book that you mentioned <clears throat> is seminal, Litigating Parental Alienation. Um, it is expensive, right? So it's not something that you could buy for 67 cents on on amazon used books but i think it is worth it um it's the long version of what mark just laid out and you know maybe what might be useful is that book's massive tome maybe it'd be useful to go through in like a five minute youtube video or, or a 
give a condensed cliff notes version, but you know, if you're going to invest in an attorney, you want them to be samurai. Yeah. And I mean, there are other resources like I'll, I'll pull this up here. Daniel makes this. There are so many people. Dr. Craig Childress is one of the preeminent experts in the space. Um, and they have resources available that are more short form. Now that book, Litigating Parental Alienation, it's, I would say 250 pages. It's a big textbook. It's very technical. But if you can boil it down simply, I mean, here are, I mean, essentially parental alienation at its core, if we're going to be explaining it is there was a bond between child and parent. Now there's rejection. And you have to fill in the blanks between those two. Mm -hmm. And Dr. Robert Simon out of, uh, hopefully have him on the show here actually in the next month or so out of San Diego is one, Dr. Craig Childrish. Um, in terms of litigating it, um, obviously uh, Ashiso Joshi is the guy. Um, he travels all over the country. Um, another one, Amy Baker, I've read some of her stuff. So there's a lot of people and you have to realize, like I had a client the other day who it's a very clear parental alienation issue. And I put that in our pre-hearing brief and he freaked out. He's like, I was, I, I read that you're not supposed to put it. That may have been the case five years ago. Mm -hmm. um, but there's been a lot of movement. And so it's, it's a lot of times attorneys just simply haven't educated themselves. So if you're in one of those situations, you have to find someone who's either willing to educate themselves on it because if it's, there's parental alienation, if it's significant, you're probably going to be litigating it out. It's probably not going to be the type of case that's going to get settled um, or someone who understands and already knows what it is and knows how to litigate it. Because I think as much as as much as prior to being an attorney, I viewed attorneys as all, every attorney is this brilliant constitutional scholar. That's just simply not the case. Um, you can 100 percent. I would I would say that 80 percent of family law attorneys probably have never actually made, that's probably generous, have never made a actual technical parental alienation argument in court. I want to say one more thing. <clears throat> um, Dr. Childress's name was mentioned by, by a viewer. I would second that. I think he's incredibly knowledgeable. He's from California, but his research, his scholarship, his writing, first of all, there's a ton of it. Second of all, it's super accessible and free. Um, so uh, two thumbs up on that. Um, got to run Mark and everybody else. Um, yeah, no, I know we, we were on a shot clock here. Um, I, thank you so much, um, it, for coming on again. Uh, it's always a lot of information, uh, for everybody watching. Um, I know a couple of people were asking for email addresses, different things to get that brief. Ryan's going to send a redacted version over to me and, um, in the next, give me a week to get it to the Father's Rights Movement social team. And we're going to get that posted. We may be able to get it on the website. We'll at least get it onto social media so everyone has access to it. Um, awesome. So once again, Ryan, thank you for coming on. Um, to all of our viewers, uh, I will be back again at our normal time next Thursday um, at 5 p.m. on December 23rd. So uh, until then, uh, thank you all for watching. And once again, Ryan, Thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, guys. Happy holidays.